Take your Bible and turn back to 1 John. 1 John chapter number 5. This will be the fourth part of our Confident Christianity series and something we started a few weeks ago really came from something out of a Sunday morning message and the Lord's just kind of kept us honed in right here on 1 John chapter 5. Let's go back to verse number 13 and refresh your memory on the verses and then we'll dive into this fourth part of the series. Verse number 13. These things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that ye may know that ye have eternal life and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God and this is the confidence. Everybody say confidence with me. This is the confidence that we have in Him. That if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. And if we know that He hear us whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of Him. Verse 17. All unrighteousness is sin, and there is a sin not unto death, and we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God keepeth himself, and that the wicked one toucheth him not. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Let's pray. Lord, for just a few minutes, God, we pray that you'd make your word so clear to us. Lord, that you would open these truths to our eyes. God, that we would see clearly what you'd have for us tonight. Lord, I know what you've put in my heart. And Father, I pray that you would use these verses, this message, Father, to free some people from the weight and the burden of sin. God, that you would use this message to open our eyes, to be more conscientious of sin. And Lord, that as believers, we would respond appropriately to sin. Lord, I pray that you'd use your word. God, hide me behind the cross where I am nothing but clay. And Lord, I need you for a few moments, Lord, to help me. God, to preach the word that you'd have me say. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen and amen. Very quickly, let me review just a few things and put everything in context. It's very important that we continue to build off this. And if you've not been a part of the first three messages... I invite you to go back into the archive on YouTube or in our app and make sure you avail yourself to those other messages. It would all come together. But as we continue to build on these five aspects of Christian confidence, let's give you number one and number two again. Number one, we can be confident of eternal life in Jesus Christ. Christians, believers, again, as we have said, every message, this pertains to people who are in the faith. If you are saved and on your way to heaven, you're born again, blood washed, and you know that if you died tonight or if Jesus were to come for his bride, that you have eternal security in him, then this pertains to you. You can be confident in eternal life because of who Jesus is. Praise the Lord for that. And and if you are here tonight and you do not have that confidence, if you don't know that if you died where you'd spend eternity, then I would invite you to not leave this campus tonight without talking to someone about what that really means. I want everyone in here to have absolute assurance that they, number one, will spend an eternity somewhere, and then that number two, they know where they're going to spend that eternity. Verse 13 says, these things I have written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life. It's not a guessing, it's not a maybe, it's not three quarters positive, it's an absolute no that you know that your name's been recorded in the Lamb Book of, uh, Book of Life. It's not a guesswork. Praise God, it's not a guesswork. There's a lot of things in this world that are uncertain and unsure, but this is one thing you can be absolutely positive of if you're in the faith that if you die tonight, you can go to heaven. Secondly, confident of answered prayer in the will of God confident of answered prayer in the will of God. Verse 14 and 15, we read those. This is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will. 
It's one thing to pray like you're in a drive-through window. Lord, I'll take uh, six of these and two of those and supersize my fries. Can I get a witness? That's not how we pray. It's okay to tell God what we want. Number one, he already knows what you want anyway. He's God. But it's another thing to pray asking God to reveal to you what to pray for. God, I want to pray for what you want me to have. God, I want to pray in your perfect will for my life. Lord, I want to not only marry a, a person who, who meets maybe a little criteria that I have for myself and what I'd like to marry, but, but Lord, I'd rather marry the right person that you've picked out. Uh, Lord, I, I, I want to buy this vehicle, but if you're not in it, then I don't want it. Lord, I'd rather be in your perfect will. So we, we've put those two things in the same category, praying into God's perfect will for your life and not rambunctiously going through the drive-thru and saying, well, this is what I want when I want it and not praying into the will of God. And then when those prayers don't get answered, we, we act like a whipped, defeated little puppy. Well, I asked God to do this on Thursday and he didn't do it until Friday. I told the Lord I wanted this and he gave me that. That's not how this works. We approach him with all humility and we approach him knowing that he is God and that he does all things well. And then when we go to him in prayer, uh, there is nothing wrong with spending a, a season of prayer in preliminary prayer where we're saying, Lord, I'm getting ready to come to you as my advocate and I'm going to pray and I'm going to pray for the things you want me to pray for. There's something about saying, Holy Ghost, pray for me now. Holy Ghost, you pray for me. You go to the, the, the Father and you take my petition. And I don't even know what to pray for, but Holy Ghost, pray for me now. Some of the old prayer warriors of the old days prayed that way. Jesus, pray for us. Advocate who is at the right hand of the Father. I don't know what to ask for. I know my heart's broken. I know my heart is burdened. So Jesus, pray for me. Holy Ghost, reveal to me what to pray for. There's a real honesty and a real dialogue in God-centered prayer. And Christians who love the Lord and who live in His will for their life can be confident that He will answer your prayer in His perfect will. Now this comes back full circle and I don't want to re-preach all of this, but let me give this to you and move on. It's one thing to pray being in God's perfect will for your life. It's another to be outside of the perfect will for God for your life and to pray then. Uh, it, it's, very, it's very different. There always will be something juxtaposed against your prayer. Lord, I need you to help me. Well, he will help you, but he also wants you to be in his perfect will for your life. We get into the season of life where we're not in God's perfect will and we step outside the bounds of what he wants for our life. And if you'll notice in those times, God somehow becomes more of a shoebox God that when we're in the emergency room or the bad phone call comes, then we go to our prayer closet and we get him out of the shoebox and we say, hey, I need your help, 911. I need some assistance uh, Lord, I, I know I'm out of your will, but would you help me? The, the difference is people who are in the perfect will of God are, are obeying the scriptures and they're obeying the lifestyle that, that Christ has compelled us to live. And we are constantly daily in communication with him. There is no shelved God. There is no shoebox God. So that when the moment of 911, if you will, comes, we have instant access to him without having to fix six years of laundry list of problems and issues. There's something about just plugging in and knowing that he's hearing your prayer. God, I need to pray for my loved one who's in the emergency room dying. But, but first, I, I know I need to get some things right. What a terrible way to live our lives. That is the benefit and the blessing of living within God's perfect will for your life. That way instantly you can go to your Father who is in heaven and you can ask according to His will. So we've talked about that in detail and in depth. Those are in, that's in those other messages and you can go back and listen to those. We talked about prayer and understanding prayer from the four pillars of God's sovereignty. And I feel like we have to go through these for just a moment. Number one, God is sovereign over the universe. Remember who it is you're praying to. In love, Jesus is not your bro. Jesus is not a dude. God forbid. 
Jesus is the son of God, the second person of the Godhead, and the Godhead is holy and righteous and just. And yes, we can be transparent and yes, we can come as we are, but realize who it is you are petitioning to go to the throne of grace and ask is a privilege and it is a blessing and it is afforded only to those who are in the faith to go in God's perfect will and understand who it is that you're praying to. God is sovereign over the universe. God is sovereign over salvation. Praise the Lord. It's not up to me. I didn't save myself. I didn't pray long enough and loud enough. I didn't light enough candles. I didn't sign the card fast enough. That had nothing to do with it. It was a complete and total absolute work of the Holy Ghost of God that drew me in and saved me, praise the Lord. And God is sovereign over salvation. God is sovereign over suffering. Those that are in the faith can live their life in His will and pray knowing that He is aware of your situation and your circumstance. God loves you and He cares for you. Even in your suffering, you can know that He is sovereign in control of that situation. And then lastly, God is sovereign in divine purpose. I am looking at every aspect of my life through the lenses of my eyes, my perspective, my understanding. And I am desperate every day to wake up and ask God to help me see things a little more clearly the way that He sees it. I'm looking through a glass darkly. I'm looking at one perspective of one human being's life. He is God and he sees all things. And I may look at the situation and say, God, I'm in your perfect will for my life, but this doesn't make sense. How can this be? And so the Christian can pray in all confidence, knowing that God is sovereign over his divine purpose. And something that you're going through right now that makes no sense, hindsight being what it is, in five years can look a lot different. We talked about the prayers that we have prayed with all our fervency and all honesty of heart and all transparency that we even wept for God to answer. God, would you please answer this prayer and thank God because he's sovereign over everything. He did not answer your prayer because if he would have answered your prayer, you wouldn't be where you are today. God knows what he's doing is the bottom line. And we can understand that when we pray. We use these verses in 1 Thessalonians, pray without ceasing. Don't stop. It's continual, constant communication with the Lord. John 14, 13 through 14, whatsoever ye shall ask in my name, that will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. There is dialogue, there is communication. And then we talked about prayer being the nerve that moves the muscle of omnipotence. That God, yes, knows everything and he knows what's going to happen and he's already there, but he loves us so much that he allows us to pray and be part of his perfect will and his sovereign divine purpose. In other words, God knew you were going to pray the prayer. But until you prayed the prayer, you hadn't prayed the prayer. God is looking and he is beckoning for his children to pray, to communicate with him. We talked about how transparent we are to be with each other. And then here's where we go to this last point in point two about confidence in prayer. And this is where I didn't get to last time. I want to quickly go through this and then I want to move on to the third. James talked about our transparency. He said in verse 16 of James 5, confess your faults one to another. We talked about this Sunday. Pray for one another that you may be healed. And then he qualifies the prayer. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. God is interested in the prayers of righteous people. God is interested in listening and responding to righteous people praying. God is interested in the quality and the lifestyle of the one praying. God wants that person to be not only in his perfect will, but to love him and to obey him. Obedience is better than sacrifice. It is always the right answer to obey God. It is always the right answer to submit to God. And it is always the prayer of a righteous man that availeth much. That's in heaven. That's what God is interested in hearing. 
Again, when we have the consistency in our life where we have prayed without ceasing, it is our lifestyle, it is our worldview, it is our perspective for us to simply tell God how we feel and what we are going through. Even though he knows it, it's part of his divine plan for us to open up and to talk to him. Mutual honesty, openness, the sharing of our needs. And I'm not talking again, as I said Sunday, do not confuse this with ecclesiastical confession of sin. I'm not talking about a box that we need to build in this sanctuary and put a man in a long robe with, with a necklace on so that you go tell him everything you thought about the last two weeks. That's not what we're talking about. This is practical Christian living. This is me coming to a brother in Christ that I trust and saying, brother, I'm struggling and because I believe you to be a righteous man, I believe you to be in God's perfect will for your life. I trust your walk with the Lord. Would you help me pray? Why would I ask that? Because according to the word of God, a righteous man, his prayer availeth much. It brings movement. Whenever there's stagnant water in your life spiritually, then tell somebody and let them pray for you. We talked about that in detail even Sunday. James is saying great is the power and the strength of godly people's supplication. Who has a person in your life that you consider your prayer warrior, a prayer partner? Do you have someone that you could call at 3 o'clock in the morning and say, hey, I know you're, you're upset, I've just woke you up, but, but listen, I, I trust you and I need to tell you that I need you to pray. That's a great asset if you have it. It's an asset that's lost if they've gone to heaven. You feel maybe even a little empty or lost without that person. I have a 93-year-old great-grandmother in Nashville, Tennessee that I know every single day she calls my name out multiple times before the Lord. How do you know that? Because I've seen her little handwritten composition notebook that she writes down my name as she prays it every day. There are stacks of them. And guess what? Winston's name is in them where she is writing out my name and praying that God would protect me and use me and fill me. That's what I'm talking about. And do you think I could call that 93-year-old precious lady and say, hey, grandmother, I need you to help me pray. I can trust her. I can say I'm having a moment of weakness. I'm having some doubt. I'm worried about some things. I'm confessing my faults to her. And because she's a righteous lady, her prayers availeth much. I'm not going to call somebody that's in and out a flip-flop Christian. I'm not going to call somebody who's weak in the faith, that never comes to church, that never prays, that never serves. I'm going to call somebody that loves God and that's stable, and I'm going to beg them to pray because according to the Word of God, a righteous man's prayer availeth much. That is a confidence that you can have. And thirdly tonight, we'll get through most of this, Lord willing, you can be confident in victory over sin and Satan. Confident Christianity is Christianity that understands victory over sin and over Satan. Go back to verse number 17. Let's put this again into context. He says, all unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. He's talking about the previous verse, verse 16. All of that leads to a particular point. I don't want to go there tonight. Let's for the sake of time, let's bring this thought with us from verse 17, that all unrighteousness is sin. And the key word there is unrighteousness. You'll need to remember that word, all unrighteousness and sin. Remember, the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, but all unrighteousness is sin. Sin is what we're talking about. But saved people who are in the faith, who love the Lord Jesus Christ, who, who are living their life, according to his will and purpose, can have victory over sin. We have, I feel in my heart that there has been a, almost a generational lack of understanding as it pertains to sin. We do not have to build or construct extra biblical walls to try to explain away the essence and the truth and the beauty of the gospels. The Bible teaches us that we can be free from the burden of sin. 
that our conscience can be clean, even a past that is riddled with failure and immorality and unrighteousness, all the sins of the past, of my lifestyle before Christ, can be left exactly there in the past. There is no call from Holy Scripture, from text, for me to wake up every morning and walk into my closet and find the the chains of what I used to be and the guilt and the shame of what I used to be and put them on as I walk out the door. God has commanded His children to live in victory above the past of their sin. And to live in victory, listen now, we have to be very careful. We must hold ourselves to what Scripture says here. But to even allow ourselves to live in victory over sin that has yet to be sinned. Sin that I have not yet sinned in my life. We're not talking about, we do not believe in sinless perfection. Boy, I want to get as close to it as I possibly can. But this side of heaven, I'll never know sinless perfection. I will mess up. But buddy, I want it to be short-lived. I want it to be small. I want it to be an instantaneous break in the fellowship that I know something's up. I've just said something I shouldn't say. I've just done something I should not have done. It was displeasing to the Father. And I want to run to Him as quickly as possible and make things right. That's what we're talking about. This is practical Christian living. This is not our get out of jail free card to live like hell however and whenever and in whatever manner we choose to live. People who live that way uh, in love, in love, I doubt that you have ever known true salvation. The Bible teaches that in multiple areas, in multiple facets, and we'll get there in just a moment. But you have been given victory over sin. Every person in this room, every believer in this room, and even if you're lost, you can say, praise God that we can have victory over sin. Because the wages of sin is death. It's an absolute 100% guarantee every time that the wage of sin, the cost of sin, the price of sin is death every time. 100% mortality rate. There is no gray area. There is no special access. There is no VIP entrance. There is just one way into heaven, and that is to have your sin forgiven. And praise God, once the sin is forgiven, you can be confident in Christ and have victory. It's one thing to be forgiven. It's another to have victory over the sin. I don't have to live in the revolving toilet bowl of my flesh. You say, that's awfully crude. The toilet bowl of your flesh. Yes, our unrighteousness, our righteousness is as filthy rags according to the word of God. Look for yourself what the filthy rags are. That is our goodness. That is our righteousness in ourselves. God looks at it as something that is disgusting because all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. He talks about in this verse 18, we know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not, but he that is begotten of God, Jesus, keepeth himself. Now, you have to dig deep here to understand this, but this is the possessive. Keepeth himself. We are of God. This is referring to the fact that God protects the believer. You have been given the opportunity to live even in this wicked world with victory over sin and a guaranteed protection from sin. It's the possessive. God protects the believer. You see, we have not yet seen in this world the complete removal and withdrawal of the Holy Ghost of God. We have seen the depravity of man and it is totally depraved. We are rotten, we are wicked to the core. A a, a human being left on a trajectory without Christ will do anything and become anything, even an animal. Why all of a sudden do we have a trend in our country, and, and we're calling it a cultural trend, it's nothing cultural, it's asinine, it's insanity, where people want to become kitty cats and lick milk out of a bowl. 
and use a litter box and parents, we can use that word loosely, going to a school board and say, uh, my child identifies as a feline and they need a litter box in the girl's bathroom so that they can be their true selves. No, somebody ought to take you out back and spank you for that foolishness, for even staying up and saying that and allowing your child to do that. God help you. That is the total depravity of mankind on display. It's righteous indignation. That's foolishness. That's why we have to know what we know to be absolutely true. This is not the time for guessing. This is the time for people to have strong backbones of steel that is rooted in the word of God and that you would understand so that you can share with other people. That's the point of this. I've got to tell other people, you don't have to be guilty. You don't have to feel condemned. You don't have to feel dirty. In Jesus, there is freedom from sin, forgiveness from sin, but there is, praise God, victory from sin. Christ is the possessive of the believer. And then in that verse 18, it talks about the wicked one. That's a reference to Satan. And it says, toucheth him not. And all of this suggests that it, it's to lay hold of or to grasp in order to harm the Bible's teaching us clearly that there is a limit to Satan's influence, a limit to Satan's power over the possessives of Christ. Thank God I'm saved and I am a possession of Christ. The Apostle Paul said, I'm a bondservant, I'm a slave of Christ. I am his chattel, I am his property, I am a subject of his kingdom, and praise God, he has claim over me. So that when the enemy, the accuser comes, there is a point in which God will say, that is enough. No more. You have no right to touch my child unless I give you permission. This has to do with everything that we experience. Temptation, persecution, accusations of the mind. A lot of this is fault within our mind. We'll wake up and all of a sudden something we haven't thought about in years. Some sin we committed years ago will become so vivid and so real to us. We'll feel so guilty and so dirty and so shameful. How could that have been me? How could I have ever allowed myself to be that person? And there'll be such accusation. Oh my goodness, I can't believe how foolish I was. I can't believe I was there on that night with that person. I can't believe I took that drug. I can't believe I got that drunk. And we'll feel so much shame and guilt. That is nothing more than an accusation of one who has no business speaking to you. If you belong to Jesus Christ, he has forgiven the sin and there is no more shame, no more condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He said he toucheth him not. And Satan may persecute, he may tempt, he may test, he may even accuse you. But God, praise the Lord, he protects his children. And he has put an invisible fence, if you will, around Satan. So that when he crosses the line, the shot caller reminds him that he is who he is and that God is who he is. And that we belong to him. It means something, child of God, to be a child of God. Being a Christian is so much more than what your, your, your account status says. Or what you've told some people at work that you go to church. It's so much more. There is a benefit to being a Christian. And one of the greatest benefits that you can have confidently is that you can be victorious over sin. Praise the Lord for that. I want to give you five things, four things, and then we'll go home. Number one, this is sin as it pertains to the believer. This is how you stay confident in victory over sin and over Satan. I said it this morning at the morning service. Don't guess on the big stuff. Don't guess if we win this thing. You see, ultimately, victory has already been secured. I said victory has already been secured. We've already won the war. The war's over, folks. The war's over. Victory day, it's coming. We'll celebrate it. But in the battle, in the battle... There is a desperate need for us to remain very conscientious of why we can be 
victorious over sin. Let's understand this, and I'm going to go quickly here. We may have to review some of this. I can't believe it's already 7.30. Number one, sin as it pertains to a believer. Sin is in my foundation. Sin is in my foundation. It goes all the way back to my beginning, my genesis as a person. My foundation has sin in it. Psalm 51.5 says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We are born sinners. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, For there is not a just man upon earth that doeth good and sinneth not. That's pretty plain. There's not a just man in himself who sinneth not. Romans 5.12, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death, there it is, the consequence, by sin, and so death passed upon all men, all men, all men, for that all have sinned. And then probably one of the most infamous verses that a lot of people know that aren't even saved. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. If you're alive and breathing and if you're human, say amen. amen. I have news, you're a sinner. You're a sinner. You were born sinful. It's in your nature, it's in your DNA, it's in the foundation of who you are. Why can three-year-olds throw the tantrums that they throw? Where does that come from? That bloody murder screaming over an Oreo. That's psychotic, no. No, it's the depravity of mankind. There's a natural hatred for authority that we're born with. Why do we have a problem being told what to do as human beings? We should be these tender little pliable piles of Play-Doh. Go clean your room. War has been declared. Where does that come from? It comes from our sinful nature. So understand that you were born with this issue. No one could escape it. Not even the best of us could escape it. And then secondly, my sin, praise God, remember this is for believers. My sin has been forgiven. My sin has been forgiven. Please let me invite you to a never allow something like that. That statement right there. Never allow it to become cliché. When you hear forgiven sin, you go, yeah, I've heard it all my life. But do you believe it? Do you embrace it? Do you live in that lifestyle that your sin has been forgiven? You see, my sin was paid for by Christ's sacrifice. I couldn't pay for it myself. There was no checkbook. There was no credit card. There was no bank account that would be able to pay God for my sin. It required that there be judgment. It required it to be sacrifice. And he forgave my sin, the sin that I committed before I was saved and even the sin that I would commit after I got saved. See, I got saved at 15. 15. Who remembers what, it be, what it's like to be 15? Is there anybody in here that's 15? Any 15-year-olds? Raise your hand. Anybody? No. 15. That's when I got saved. So what do you think happened at 16, 17, and 18? I sinned. I messed up. I said some things I should not have said. I thought some things. I wish I would have never thought I acted out on some of those thoughts. And those sins were already forgiven. That is the radical message of God's forgiveness for sinners like you and me. And it's why we can live victoriously above the sin. The standard has been set. Do you remember what was said in Matthew 5? It's in the 48th verse. It says, Be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. There's the standard. Be perfect. Well, I can't be. God knew that when He put that in the Bible. Jesus knew what He was saying when He said it. Of course you can't be perfect, but you strive for perfection. And then when God looks at you, He, yes, sees, because you are saved, perfection. Are you staying with me tonight on this? That's the victory over sin. The fact that it's been forgiven. God cannot look upon or allow within His kingdom unforgiven sin. Unforgiven sin is why people will die and go into an eternity and spend it away from God. God cannot allow unforgiven sin into His kingdom. Therefore, it must have been forgiven. And it could only be forgiven by Christ Jesus. 
The balance here, let me help you with this. There are so many false teachers and false preachers who have a YouTube account with hundreds of thousands, some of them millions of followers that will preach things like this. God knew what you were going to be before He made worlds and He loves you just as you are. So you can be a homosexual and God's okay with it. You can drink as much as you want. Get drunk sometimes. It's okay. God loves you enough to, to let you do that. He, 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 he likes you just the way you are. That damns so many people into an eternity and confuses our young people to a place that is almost beyond a repair if we do not combat that foolishness and that heresy. The standard has been set. Be perfect even as your Father in Heaven is perfect. But the balance is the new creature. You see, salvation is a moment of energy and exchange. It is not some sort of butterfly moment. I believe that there's a God. The demons in hell believe there's a God. Satan knows God personally. He has access to Him. Read the Bible. I, I believe that there's a heaven. Good, I hope you go. Well, I think there's probably a hell. There is, and you should avoid it at all costs, only through and by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. The balance is the new creature. It balances out every bit of this. God forgave my sin, and He forgave the future sin after my salvation, but, but, but now I'm a new creature. I don't want to be what I used to be. I don't want to sin the way I used to sin. And I want my list of sin become smaller and shorter and smaller and shorter. I want to become more like Him. That's why I'm called to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. I don't want to hurt Him. When I look upon the cross and I think of what He did on my behalf, I am compelled to live differently. He paid for my sin and He did not have to. He forgave me of my sin and He could have left me right where I was. And in light of what He has done for me, I want to live differently for Him. It's like a child that throws a baseball like Winston did when he was seven years old at 52 Clinton Avenue right through the garage window and contemplated for hours whether to tell Dad like he wouldn't notice. Can I be honest with you? God knows. He sees he understands everything about you. He knows what you really think about your whatever you want to put there. Friend, pastor, wife, husband. You say they're an egghead. Well, maybe they are. But you chose them. Love them. Pray for them. And know that God hears what you're saying about them. He knows everything. And so here's, here's the example. I want to get into the habit that the moment I realize that I have caused infraction, that there is something between me and the Father, that I don't want to be the kid that sits there in the yard and goes, I wonder how I can get out of this. I wonder how I can hide this. No, I've got to be the type of Christian in confidence that I do not have to be ashamed. I can say, Lord, I'm sorry, forgive me. And you know what the good news is? It's already forgiven. It's already been forgiven. So be the kid who throws the ball and before the glass is finished hitting the ground, run to your father and say, I've broken the window and I'm so sorry. Now help me grow in the grace and the knowledge of who you are so that I throw the baseball a different direction next time because I don't want to feel this way again. You pour your heart out to him. And instantly, because he is a loving father and a good God, he will restore fellowship with His children. And He will clean your conscience. He'll give you a clean conscience. He's not interested in you picking up shame and guilt and living in it for the rest of your life. Why did Christ go to the cross? It was perfect salvation. It was perfect forgiveness. And because it's perfect, it comes with no strings attached to guilt and shame. Be free from what you used to be. Be the new creature in Christ and pursue Him with everything without guilt and shame. That's victory over sin. That's what Satan doesn't want you to know. That there is victory, there is control, there is power, there is authority in the name of Jesus Christ who paid for your sin in the first place. It's all about Him. 1 John 3.20 says, For if our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. Thank the Lord. He's bigger than my emotions. 
He's bigger than how I feel. God operates in principle off of who he is. If our heart condemn us, God is greater than our heart. And knoweth all things. Well, oh, you don't know what I used to be. You don't know what I used to say. You don't know what I've even said about Jesus himself. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. But I feel so ashamed of what I used to be. Stop disrespecting the gift that he's given you and move on for the cause of Christ. It's disrespectful to go pick up the thing that he bought and paid you to be free from. How, how, how do we quantify it being okay to be guilty with our past? Either we are saved and free from sin or we're not. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ... He is a new, 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 new creature. New. It means not the old one. It's a new one. There's a difference in a used car and a new car. He's talking about a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold everything in front of you. All things are become new. It's a new life. That's why we call it being born Again, anybody in this room born again? Anybody know what it means to be saved in this room? Anybody thankful for the victory over sin? Praise God, my sin has been forgiven. Can I please have five more minutes? Okay, I heard yes. Now, my sin has already been forgiven. But because I'm the new creature in Him, I must have a clean conscience. You cannot live your life. You cannot live your life on this merry-go-round of petty sin. Listen to what I'm saying. These little petty sins that we hold on to, gossip, quit talking about them. They belong to the Lord Jesus and you're grieving the Holy Ghost. Stop going to that website for the love of God. Well, it's not porn, but your mind wishes it was. If you can't control your thought life, then get off of Instagram. And quit hoping that you run into a model in a bikini. If you're looking, you'll find it. That's how the devil works. We're talking about holy living as a new creature that lives differently than what the world even understands. But you'll never have a clean conscience and you'll never go for God until you get over these petty, intricate sins. They latch on to you like a kookleburra does on corduroy. You ever been in the brush and got a kookleburra on your pants? Good luck getting it off by yourself. you got to have help. So get some help. Be honest and transparent with God. Quit acting like you're some sort of Sunday suit wearing better Christian than everybody else is. And be honest with God and say, I am a man with a problem. I am a woman with a problem and you got to help me. That's how children speak to their father. Daddy, I'm hungry. Daddy, I'm sad. Daddy, I'm tired. Daddy, I'm messed up. And I need some help. He knows already, so tell him. Communicate with him. And your sin has already been forgiven. So quit weighing yourself down with the chains of what he's already paid for and move on. This is why a lot of people, listen now, this is why I really think the Lord's trying to help somebody tonight. There's a reason you can't pray. There's a reason you can't worship. There's a reason you can't be happy. And the truth is, if you're not right with God, if there's these little petty sins that are stacking up like cordwood then you are not right with God. Don't get that wrong. Fellowship is broken. Things have got to change. He's got expectation for the new creature. And because nothing's right with him, nothing will be right with anybody else that's in the faith. You know what a lot of marriages, really at the end of the day, you know what the problem is? It's petty sin that in pride we refuse to let go of. And because we're not right with God, we can't be right with our wife. And we can't be right with our husband. And we can't be right with our friends and family. If you're in the faith and on your way to heaven and you are not right with God and you are walking around with a dirty conscience and you can't worship and you can't give and you can't pray, nothing else will be right until you make it right. Your sin's been forgiven, so what are you waiting on? Why be guilty one more day? Why be ridden with shame one more day? Understand that if you're in the faith, your sins are forgiven. And I feel so pressed to remind you that this is for saved people. If you're lost and undone and you are convicted, then run to Christ. 
Be saved. Believe upon His name. But if you're saved, then leave shame and guilt where it belongs. That goes into number three. Not only is my sin forgiven, but my sin is forgotten. Let me say that to the safe people again. My sin is forgotten. My sin's been forgotten. It's one thing to know that you're forgiven. It's another to think and to know and to believe and to live in the light of that your sin has been forgotten. This is God's design. You see, He's too holy and too righteous to hold that past against you. He, he can't have a relationship with unforgiven sin. I've already said that. So then how does God quantify this? How does God, in His economy of forgiveness... How do we balance out the scale of a just and righteous and a holy and a perfect God? How do we balance out the scale? He's God. He's omniscient. He's omnipotent. He knows and he sees everything. So what then do we do do with our past and our sin? We have to believe the Bible. God's design is in Hebrews 10, 15 through 17. Whereof the Holy Ghost also is a witness to us. For after that he had said before. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts and in their minds will I write them. And their sins and iniquities will I remember no more. Praise God. He has chosen to forget. This is God's optional choice to have amnesia about your sin. He has chosen to forget your sin. Isaiah 38, 17, there's a beautiful picture of this. It says, Behold, for peace I had great bitterness, but thou hast in love to my soul delivered it from the pit of corruption, for thou hast cast all my sins behind thy back. Behind the back of God is where you can find your sins. That is the deepest ocean. That is the highest mountain. That is the deepest cavern. That is the place where God has chosen to hide your sin. He has chosen to do away with your sin. And the Bible says that it's on His back between His shoulder blades so that when He turns to look, the sin's behind. And He turns this way to look, and the sin's behind. And he turns all the way around to look, and the sin's behind. The sin, when God looks at his children, is always in the past. It's in the past. And it's on his back. He carried it all the way, and he forgave you, and he forgot it. This is where freedom comes from. This is where victory and confidence come from. And then lastly, we'll go home. Understand that my future is without sin. My future is without sin. My foundation started in sin. But because I am a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ and I have my eternity secured in Him, my future is guaranteed in a place where sin does not exist. Revelation 21, 27 it says, and there shall in no wise enter into anything that defileth, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. A place of no sin and of no corruption. And then lastly tonight as we go home, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 11. Every Christian ought to know this verse and believe it with all of their heart. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. Seems pretty hopeless. And as such were some of you. But ye are washed. But ye are sanctified. But ye are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. And let the people say, Amen.
Holy Father, in Jesus' name. Lord, thank you for this land called Beulah. This beautiful place of perfection and sinless bliss. God, around your throne for eternity will be. And Lord, there will be a place for me there. God, I know it. I'm 100% sure of it. And Lord, according to your word, that place is perfect with no sin. Lord, I cannot wait for that faith to become sight. For it to be a reality that I will never let down God again. That I'll never disappoint my relationship with you. Lord, I long for that day. But Lord, while you tarry and while I'm on this earth, Lord, it is my prayer, God, that I would live in victory over sin. God, in victory over Satan. That Lord, we'd live in that light free and clear of guilt and shame. God, the pressure of what we used to be left on Your back to be forgotten and forgiven. Lord, now I pray for the one that's in this room. God, obviously in a crowd this large, even with those that are online, there must be someone listening. God, to the sound of my voice, who is either lost or who is unsure of their eternity. Lord, I pray that they'd surrender to their pride, surrender to their rebellion. And God, that they would cast themselves at the mercy, the grace of Jesus Christ. Lord, if there's one in the faith here tonight that's a Christian, that's a believer, a lady, a gentleman, Lord, who is riddled daily with shame and guilt of their past, I pray that tonight would be a line in the sand moment Lord, that they would choose to believe the Word of God. And Lord, that we would not offend You by picking up our shame and our guilt, Lord, as a matter of pride. Lord, that we would live in the victory that You secured through Your Son Jesus on our cross. That we would tell others the good news. Be with us this week. Bring us all back together this Lord's Day as we break bread again. Be with the church family that's away with our teenagers that are at conference, our children that are at camp, touch them or be with them. Use the preachers, God, to preach the truth. Keep them safe, bring them home. In Jesus' name, the church pray. Amen.